Thank you so much for joining us for today's podcast. We'll get started in just a moment. If this is your first time here, please consider subscribing so that you may stay up to date with the latest podcast. And if our podcast brings value to your life, please consider sharing it with family and friends. Thanks for listening. And now here's today's podcast. Thanks for joining us for the Covenant Living Broadcast with Pastor John Butler of Covenant Life Church, located at 130 Atlantic Avenue in Bremen, Georgia. John chapter 1, Romans chapter 8. But to all who believe Him, Jesus, let's go back to verse 12. Uh, But to all who believe Him and accepted Him, He gave, Jesus gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. Not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Now let's go to Romans chapter 8, verse 14, and then verse 16. We'll go back to 15 in just a minute. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And verse 16, for His Spirit joins with our spirit, so the Holy Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Father, would you just... uh, uh, anoint the, the, the preaching and the reading and the hearing and most of all the doing of your word. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're in week five of a series that's called the Reborn Identity. The Reborn Identity. Jesus said that we have to be reborn. We have to be born again. John mentioned it in the, in the scripture that we just read. And it's that act of being born again that determines our identity. Uh, that, that, that determines who we are and what, what our lives are supposed to be about as followers of Jesus. We've talked about the salvation experience and what all it means in your life when you can say, I am saved. That was the first three messages. Last week, we talked about the love of God, and we talked about how it expresses itself in our lives and how it affects us every day. Now, throughout all of these messages, we've been, we've been talking about the declarations that we can make, the declaration of, of identity that we can make based on the Word of God. And you can declare these over yourself. You can encourage yourself with the Word of God. Last week was, I am loved. I am loved. This week, based on the scripture that we just read, and you've probably already figured it out, but our declaration this week is, I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Now, when we become followers of Jesus, it's so much more than, than, uh, unfortunately, too many American churches have led people to believe. It's not a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's not, um, it's not an invitation to God to join your team in helping you achieve your goals and your, and your dreams. It, the, the salvation experience is not an ending, it's a beginning. It's a beginning of, of, our, of finding our place in the family of God. And the only way that we could have the opportunity to be in the family of God is because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. He gave us the power to become sons and daughters of God. And then Romans chapter 8 says the Holy Spirit confirms that. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all welcome us into the family of God so we can say with confidence that we are God's children. Amen? Amen. Now this series was really birthed out of, uh, out of the Father's Day message that I preached a few, a few months ago called Orphans and Origins. And if you recall, I was just a few weeks from losing my father who passed away on Memorial Day. 
my mom passed away five years ago, and so I was really struck by how strange it was to be walking around on the planet with no living parents. And I was really struck by how much of my identity had been determined by and, and defined by those two individuals. Uh, and, and I also know that that's a sensitive subject. That it's a sensitive issue because there's a huge spectrum of parenthood that we all may have experienced, and we've experienced parenthood differently. So from, from godly to grisly, right? From awesome to awful. Uh, for some people, they're close to their parents. For other people, it's complicated, right? So no matter what your experience with, is with parents, whether you had great parents or whether you had abusive parents or absent parents or impossible to please parents or distant parents or never knew your parents, the great news of the gospel of Jesus is that when we surrender ourselves to Him, we are part of a brand new spiritual family and we have a heavenly Father. And that heavenly Father is a father to the fatherless. He loves us. He makes sure that we have everything that we need and that everything that happens to us will work for our good. He's promised He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He'll never deny us. He'll never abandon us. He'll never turn His back on us. He is altogether wonderful and pure and holy and good. So no matter what your experience has been like on this earth with your parents, this will be one that you're glad to be able to call your father. Amen? So, let's spend a little bit of time today talking about what it means uh, to be a child of God. When you can say, I am a child of God, that one declaration unlocks three other declarations that I want us to talk about today. So, let's start with how in the world did we become a part of this family? And, and so, here's our first declaration today. I am adopted. I am adopted, all right? Let's look at two passages of Scripture, Genesis, uh, not Genesis, Galatians 4, and then we'll go back to Romans 8 and we'll pick up that 15th verse, okay? Galatians 4 and 4 says, When the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law, and God sent Him for a reason, to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. That's redemption. Uh, hang on, let me finish that. Verse 5, so that He could adopt us as his very own children. He, he purchased us, paid for us, so he could adopt us. And verse 6, And because we are his children, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba, which really a better, a better interpretation of that Greek word is, uh, is daddy. It's a much more intimate word than just father. It's daddy. So because we have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ in our hearts, then he's now not just our heavenly father, he's our, he's our heavenly daddy. That's cool. Now, uh, Romans 8 and verse 15 says, So you've not received the spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba or Daddy. Now, let me ask you a completely and utterly ridiculous question. So don't get worked up about this. Have you ever gone to the door, heard the doorbell ring, you go to, a door, to the door, and a child is standing there who says, Good afternoon. My name is John. I'm an orphan. Will you adopt me? Has that ever happened to anybody? No. Why? Because that's not how that works. That's not how that happens. So what happens is a, a willing parent goes and pursues a child who needs a family 
and brings them into their home, right? Sometimes it's through an adoption agency. Sometimes it's through another family member. Sometimes it's through the foster care system. But it starts with a willing, loving parent in pursuit of the child. That's what God did for us. It's what He did for us. We were outside the family, okay? We were outside. The Jews, the nation of Israel, were the natural-born children in God's divine plan. But, but He always had the plan to adopt us. Why? Because He knew that the nation of Israel was far too small. And so He knew that He was going to have to make a way for all of us who are outside of the family to become a part. But now, because of what Jesus did... We are one big happy family because of what He did for us on the cross. In Ephesians, it tells us that He made the way because He's the only way to get to the Father, whether you're Jew, whether you're Jew or Gentile. And remember, in the first message, one of our declarations was that I am chosen. Do you remember that? I am chosen, that He chose us. That's what the Father did for us, not just for the Jews, but for the Gentiles. And unless you are Jewish, you're a Gentile. How easy is that? So that's, I'm, I'm assuming that's pretty much everybody are Gentiles. We didn't have a way into the family of God. We were on the outside looking in. He made a way for us to be part of the family. When He died on the cross, Ephesians tells us that He tore down the middle wall of petition, that wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile, so that now we could all be part of one big happy family. But He, whether we were Jew or Gentile, He chose us to be part of His family. A, a loving, willing father in pursuit of a child that needs a family. And so I am proud, and, and I assume you are proud, to be able to say, I am adopted. I am adopted. Now, what does that have to do with our identity? It has everything to do with our identity. So much of our identity comes from our family. No matter how you got to be a part of it, right? The family grounds you and gives you wings. There's lots of nice poems and songs about that. Family helps to instill your values. It helps to give you your priorities. It means that you never have to fight alone. You can fight with each other. <laughs> Sorry. Um, you, you never have to be by yourself when you're a part of a family. So you might be thinking, well, well, yeah, so God made a way for us to be apart, but I'm sure He loves the Jews more than He loves us because after all, we're just the adopted kids. Well, two things. First of all, under God's law, adopted kids have all the rights and privileges of natural-born children, so, so we're all equal in His body, and besides the fact that it was still His decision to bring us into the family. Secondly, no matter how you got there, you were still chosen. You were chosen. We chose to have Zach and Morgan biologically. And we took the necessary steps to make that happen. And, and, and then when God told us a few years ago, for what, four and a half years ago or so now, that our family wasn't done, that we still had more children to, to come, then we chose Corinne and Anthony and Haley to be part of our family. And we took the necessary steps to make that happen. Now, those steps weren't as much fun as the other steps, but we took the steps that, that we had to do to make them a part of our family. But, but do you see, we, we are chosen children of God, whether we're adopted or natural born. He didn't have to choose us. He's God. He don't have to do anything. 
right? So he chose to adopt us. He chose to bring us in the family. Either way, we're all a part of the family of God. So when we can say, I'm a child of God, we can be excited about the fact that we are adopted. So here's the second thing. Second declaration that's true because we can say, I'm a child of God. You can also say, I am an heir. Not a hair, an heir. H-E-I-R. I want to show you three passages of Scripture. The first in Ephesians chapter 1. God has now revealed to us His mysterious plan regarding Christ. A plan to fulfill His own good pleasure. John, what's that plan? Well, verse 10 says, this is the plan. At the right time, He'll bring everything together under the authority of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we're united with Christ, we've received an inheritance. When you are part of the inheritance, you are an heir. For He chose us in advance. You see, He chose us, and He makes everything work out according to His plan. God's purpose was that we Jews who were first to trust in Christ would bring praise and glory to God. And now Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news that God saves all of us. And when you believed in Christ, He identified you as His own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom He promised long ago. The Spirit of God's guarantee, the Spirit is God's guarantee that He will give us the inheritance He promised and that He has purchased us to be His own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify Him. Romans 8, verse 17. So we are heirs. Heirs. Romans 8, 17. Since we are His children, we are His heirs. You see how being a child of God unlocks that declaration. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share His glory, we must also share His suffering. Another version of that says we are heirs of Christ, joint heirs with Jesus. And I'll come back to that, uh, that distinction in just a minute. Now, one last verse, Galatians 4 and 7 so now you're no longer a slave, but God's own child, adopted child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. So we're not going to spend a ton of time on this, but it's just it's too important not to mention. When you say you're a child of God, then it also means that you are an heir. I told you that natural born children and adopted children have the same rights under the law. Well, that's true for the inheritance as well. Adopted kids have as much claim on the estate as the natural born kids. So in my family, that means that my bills get divided five ways and not just two. But when your father is the king of kings and the lord of lords, that whole inheritance concept is a lot more exciting. Because there's, there's, there's endless treasure. There's endless stuff that He's planned to, to give to us. So because we are part of the family, we'll get a front row seat to the unfolding of what we now consider prophecy, but one day very soon will be our reality. And so we get a front row seat because we are heirs. We get a front row seat to the rapture of the church, the tribulation period, the marriage supper of the Lamb, the second coming of Christ, the millennial reign of Jesus, the renovation of heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem coming down. Everything good that God has promised to His kids is part of our inheritance. Every need will be supplied. Every tear wiped away. Every question 
answered. It's the inheritance of the children of God. Because you're a child, you're an heir. And that's good news. Now, I want to clarify something real quick because the, the scripture says we're heirs and some versions say we're joint heirs with Jesus. It doesn't mean that we inherit the same thing that Jesus inherits. Okay? It doesn't mean that it just means that we're included in the inheritance. We are both heirs, but we don't get the same thing. Okay? I don't want to, I don't want there to be any room for false doctrine. We will never be any kind of deity. He's got that on lockdown. He does not need uh, any help being God. So we will be part of the inheritance, but we don't get the same inheritance that Jesus gets. As a matter of fact, we don't even get the same inheritance as each other. Amen. Do you realize that we will get different in, a different inheritance as children of God? Now, will all our needs be met? Sure. All the tears wiped away, everything that we, all of that is, is, is part of it. But do you remember that in the New Testament, in many different places, it talks about you'll obtain a crown of life. You'll get the crown of righteousness. It, it tells you different things, different crowns that, that people, that are available for children of God. Paul says in an, also in, uh, I think it's in 1 Corinthians, that that the works that we do in the body after we become believers will be tried as, a, as if by fire, and he'll see what they're made of and whether they're going to perpetuate into a reward for us. And there are some of us in the body that will see all of our works burn up as wood, hay, or stubble. And others of us will see our, our works perpetuate and be rewarded as gold, silver, and precious jewels. So not everybody's going to get the same thing. Jesus said, where your treasure is, that's where, your, where your, your treasure is, that's where your heart is. And so he said, so lay up treasures in heaven. Is everybody going to lay up the same amount of treasure in heaven? No. So our inherit, though we are all heirs, we don't all inherit the same thing. But the writer of the will gets to determine who gets what. Isn't that right? Isn't that right? Y'all ain't had nobody die in your family? Yeah, that's how that works. They get to decide who gets what. All these people are included, but not everybody gets the same thing. And because God is just and good and holy, He will determine exactly what's right for each of us. But the good news is, as children of God, we are all heirs of God. Amen? Good news. Here's the last declaration. We'll spend the bulk of our time on this. The last declaration when I can say, I am a child of God, I am also saying, I am in relationship. I am in relationship. Now, I want to read what's commonly known as the parable of the prodigal son. Uh, and, and I'll show you the original context so that you know, uh, you know what God was talking, what Jesus was talking about. But this parable, though we always call it the parable of the, of the prodigal son, like there's only one son, this parable has two sons and a father, and, and, and I think we can learn something about sonship or daughtership that will help us with our reborn identity. Okay, so Luke chapter 15, the first seven verses, very familiar. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people even eating with them. Oh my goodness, can't believe that. So Jesus told them this story. Jesus said, if a man has a hundred sheep, one of them gets lost, what will he do? 
Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that, he, that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me because I've found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And then verses 11 and 12, I want, to, I want you to see how this connects to um, the parable of the prodigal son because he told them that story and they still didn't get it. And verse 11 says, To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. As a matter of fact, he told them three stories to illustrate the same point. But Jesus said, A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now, originally, the parable was about the lost sheep of Israel. The Pharisees were criticizing Jesus for associating with sinners, but Jesus made it clear to them, I will pursue them. I'll do whatever it takes to bring them back into the sheepfold. And if you're as righteous as you claim to be, you'll be excited that they're coming back into the fold. You'll be excited about the lost being found. Then he tells them this parable of the prodigal son. Now, let's hit the highlights of what happened next. You know, the son asked for his inheritance. So this younger son gets his inheritance. He leaves the family, leaves the country, and just goes buck wild. All right? Spent all his money because it don't take long to spend. He spent all the money, fell on hard times, decided he was going to go back to the father's house, apologize for failing him as a son, and ask that he would just hire him as a servant. And the father said, because the father was watching for him, the father went to him, and when he came back and he repented, he said, son, that's ridiculous. I don't care what you did out there. I don't care how much money you have or don't have. You're back home. You're still my son. So he restored him to his rightful place as son, and then he threw him a party. And that's where we're going to pick up the scripture and we're going to meet the second son. In verse 28, it says this, The older brother was angry and wouldn't go into the party. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, I love this, you never even gave me a goat. For a feast. And now this son of yours is back after squandering your money on prostitutes and you celebrate by killing the fatted calf. He gets steak. I don't even get a goat. That was the argument. His father said, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. And guess what? It always was. And he says, we had to celebrate this happy day. Your brother was dead. He's come back to life. He was lost. And now he's found. The father had two sons. Neither of them got it right. If we're looking at this for, in the context of relationship with the father, neither of these boys had it figured out. When you say, I am a child of God, you have to recognize it means that you are in relationship with the father. And a lot of people get in trouble because they get too far in the extremes of the relationship. Because in every relationship, there are rights that you have, and then there are responsibilities 
that you have. And, and too many people focus on one or the other. But the sweet spot of a, of a relationship that's functioning, it, functioning well is when you find the proper balance between rights and responsibilities. When you are a child of God, you have rights as, your, as a child of God, but you also have responsibilities. It's not either or, it's both. Okay? For example, when a man and woman get married, it's not just an extension of their dating relationship, is it? It is not. This is no. Because if you've been married for longer than like a week and a half, you're like, this ain't like dating at all. Okay, it's it, there, there's a home to be tended. There's jobs to be worked. There's bills to be paid. There, the, eventually, maybe there's kids to be raised. It is, it's not just every day's a honeymoon anymore. So at the same time, marriage also is not just a business partnership designed to create and build the most efficient household possible because there are rights and pleasures that come with being in relationship with your spouse that should also be enjoyed and maintained, right? It's not, it's not either or, it's both rights and responsibilities. It's the same with our relationship with God. There are rights that we have as children of God, but there are also responsibilities that we have to the interest of the family business. And what's the family business? Going and making disciples, right? These two boys in this parable represented both extremes, and it was a problem for both of them. They both got it wrong. Here, here's the way I want to sum up their relationship with their father. The first, son was a, the first one was a son who wouldn't serve, and the second one considered himself a servant, but not a son. The first one was a son who wouldn't serve. The second thought of himself as a servant and not a son. That was a problem. See, the first son was interested in the privileges and the rights afforded to him as an heir and as a son, but he didn't hang around to make sure the business succeeded. He wasn't concerned about the father. He wasn't worried about the father's priorities. It was all about him. The second son, on the other hand, was clearly committed to the family business, served and worked, but he never enjoyed any of the rights, any of the rights of being a son. So his father, his father was like, oh, you mad about the party? You mad about the stakes? You could have had a party for you and your friends anytime you wanted to because you're my son. You see what I'm talking about? These two boys were both wrong. It's not either or, it's both. So when you say, I'm a child of God, you enjoy the, you're enjoying the rights of sonship, but you also fulfill the responsibilities. Pastor Judah Smith Said, said it this way, we don't work for a relationship with God, we work from a relationship with God, which is given to us by what Jesus has already done. You say, so John, what are the rights of being a child of God? Well, let's call it presence, power, and pleasure. Those are the rights of being a child of God. Being in His presence is a right of the child of God. My kids know me my children know me in a way that none of you all do. They get time in my presence. They get time at my table. They get my attention. They get my company. People outside the family don't get that. Now, that's not a big deal to spend time in the presence of John Butler. It's a big stinking deal when you're in the presence of God. We get the distinct privilege of spending time in the presence of God, at His table, 
at His feet in worship, in prayer, in talking with Him, in loving Him, and being loved by Him. It should not be a chore. As, as, as Jay said, it should not be a last resort. This prayer, this opportunity to interact with our Father is one of the rights of our relationship, not one of the responsibilities. Another right is in operating in the power of God. Anytime that we are doing anything for Him, we have His power. He said, because you're adopted, I've given you my spirit to confirm that you're in my family. So we walk in the power of God. We also walk in the pleasure of God. Like, it's cool just walking around knowing He's my Father. It's cool just carrying the name of Jesus, being associated with Him, and walking in His favor. My son Zach got got out on a call He's a sheriff's deputy. He got out on a call a few weeks ago, and, and uh, at some point in the, in the conversation with the guy who was, who was um, making the complaint, he wasn't the criminal. He was the guy that had been uh, crimed. <clears throat> so he, at some point, he looked, at, he looked at Zach's face, and he looked at his name badge, and he said, um, what's your daddy's name? And Zach told him, who I was, and it was a guy that I'd gone to school with since first grade, known him for, you know, forever. And so in that moment, he was no longer Deputy Butler, right? He was John's boy. Um, the other day, we were at volleyball, and Corinne's on the volleyball team at school, and one of her friend's moms calls me Corinne's dad. Like, I don't have a name. She doesn't, she doesn't even know if I have another name. She just calls me Corinne's dad. My identity is tied up in my relationship with my family, and theirs is tied up in mine. Right? Does that make sense? And it's not a burden, it's an honor. I'm I'm proud to be known as the dad of any of the five of these butler beauties or butler boys. I'm, I'm cool with that. And I hope they feel the same way about being known as my kids. But either way, like it or not, we're stuck together for the rest of our lives. And, and we have, res- but we have responsibility. Those are the rights, but we also have responsibilities as children of God. We have to labor in the Father's fields. That's what the other son was doing. He was laboring in the Father's fields. I want to show you this, and, and this is the last scripture in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, we are God's masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus, so we got saved, so that we can do good things that He planned for us long ago. We were purchased with a purpose. We weren't created just so we could sit and soak and sour. We weren't created just to come to church and get fat and sassy. We were not created just to worship in the church. We were created to do work. Ain't nobody said amen about that. We were created to work. We were created to work. And Colossians says that if we do everything as unto the Lord, then even when we work, it is worship. Because everything about our lives should give glory and honor to God. So just as much as what we do in church is worship, what we do outside of church should also be worship. So but when we are in relationship. When we're a child of God, we are in relationship with Him. And that means we stay firmly between the ditches of right and responsibility. We should find pleasure in serving God. Pleasure. Not obligation. Not trying to earn His goodwill 
We should find pleasure because this is our business. This is what our family does. We, should be, we shouldn't be weary in well-doing. We should depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We do what He's called us to do with all of our hearts enthusiastically. Amen. Because He's our Father. Does that make sense? Alright. So, it's both. Bree, come on, baby. It, it, it's both. We, we have rights as children of God, but we also have work to do. So here's the kind of the takeaway today. Here are the questions that I want to ask you. Really two questions. I'll get to a third in a minute. But here's the first question I want to ask us as believers. What are, what are you doing for the kingdom of God? What are you doing? What responsibilities for advancing God's kingdom have you taken on for yourself? Oh, I come to church and I give. Yes, but what, what's your personal stake in it? What are you doing to advance your father's business? You say, well, I mean, John, I come around and everything, I mean, church goes good every week. Seems like everything's going well. Everything's, everything's covered. Uh, well, like two things about that. One, everything is not covered. Okay? We have a lot of dedicated people who are committed to doing whatever it takes to get it pulled off. But I promise you, we need help everywhere. And secondly, don't think that the only way to serve God and His kingdom happens in the one hour that we're together in this building. There are 168 hours in a week. And we've got to flip our focus and quit being so concerned about the one and ignore the other 167. The question to ask the Lord is, what is it that you want me to do in your kingdom and you can take any of the 168 hours that I have? Not just the one, but the other 167 as well. What, Lord, what do you want me to do for your kingdom as part of my responsibility to the relationship? On the other hand, the other question is this. Are you finding pleasure in your relationship with your Father? I've seen lots of people who believe in working for the Lord. Lots of people who work hard and, and they do their thing, but they've seemed more like the second son in the parable. They're working for the Lord, but they're mad about it. Like, they ain't enjoying it at all. Have y'all seen those? You've seen those people. Have you been those people? I have been those people where you're doing the work, but you're doing it more out of obligation and you're aggravated about it and you feel like you're entitled to something that you're not getting and you should be appreciated more and, and, and it should feel better and you're jealous of the people who seem to be enjoying their relationship with God. Listen, don't be that way. Don't be that way. Find the middle ground of the relationship between your responsibilities but also your rights. Serve Him because you love Him, not because you feel obligated. Not because you're trying to earn His good graces. You're already a family. So serve because you're in the family, not to try to get in or stay in the family. Does that make sense? So I'm going to tell you something that good pastors probably don't tell their people. Let me tell you this. If you are in that state, if you're in the second son mentality, and you're serving, but you're mad about it, or you're just done with it. You're just doing it out of obligation. Stop doing it. Like, just take a break. Just stop. Now, not like if you're serving right now. Finish your shift, okay? But like after church, tell us you're, tell us you're done. 
Why? Because we care enough about you that we want you to be a healthy person, a healthy child of God. We don't need slaves and servants who also don't have a relationship with the Father. Right? So if you need to step away and get yourself back in, out of the ditch and back in the middle of the road, do that. Because, and then when you, when you do find yourself back in a healthy place, then start taking up the mantle of responsibility out of, out of love for your father and out of, out of the responsibility for the, for the family of God and the family business. Does that make sense? All right, why don't you stand with me? I told you I was going to ask you those two questions. For each ditch, what are you doing for the kingdom? Or are you doing so much for the kingdom that you've forgotten your rights with your father? And I want you to, we're going to pray and I'm going to, I want you to ask the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Here's the third question and it's really the most important. Do you have a relationship with the father? Or can you say, honestly, I am a child of God? And it's not that you, uh, it's not that you prayed a prayer one, at one point and then sort of forgot about him. It's not that I signed a card one time, I joined a church one time. Do you have an active, living relationship with the God of the universe through his son Jesus? Have you surrendered everything to him? And if you haven't, then the most important thing for you to do today is become a child of God. You're like, I, I don't know if I can do that. You can do that because He gave you the power to become sons and daughters of God because of what He did on the cross. You surrender your life to Him. He's already paid the way. So as we pray, I'm going to pray. Uh, and, and as I pray, if you'd like to come to this altar, please come to the altar. If you'd like to pray at your seat, you absolutely can do that. And you can pray any place and any time. But I would like to say this. When you sense the Spirit drawing you to prayer or drawing you to, to just be quiet and listen to what He has to say, do that in that moment. Don't push that away. Don't, don't push it aside. Stop what you're doing and listen to what He's saying, okay? Let's do that right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask on my behalf as, as a man before his father, and I ask because of the office that I hold, I ask on behalf of those who are in this room or those who might be watching or listening electronically, God, I pray that you would search our hearts, that you would show us the, the ditches that we might have allowed ourselves to be in or show us that we're headed to one. Lord, if there's someone here who has just been so faithful to serve and so passionate about serving and serving and serving that they forgot to take some time to sit at your feet, then God, I pray that you'd reveal it to that person before they get themselves in the ditch. God, if there's a person here who, who's just been enjoying, just been kind of living, living their dream and, and they're not serving anywhere, Lord, you place them in the body for a purpose, and I pray that you help them to find the purpose that every joint supplies. And Lord, that you would help us all to pull together and that we could continue to move forward as a body because you've got work for all of us to do, but it's work that has to be fueled by the relationship we have with you. And Lord, most importantly, if there's a person here, a person listening, who doesn't know you, who has not surrendered themselves to you, who can't honestly say, I'm a child of God or I am saved, then I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would convict them of their sin. Lord, they, this may be the first gospel message they've ever heard in their lives, but Lord, I know that your Holy Spirit can lead them and guide them to you. 
So there's no magic words. There's no, there's no formulaic prayer. It's, a, it's just a total and complete surrender of our lives to your guidance, to who you are. And, and we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross to pay for our sins and to make a way for us to be in the family of God. God, I pray for those who can't say that yet, that they'll do that now. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We pray that you have been blessed and inspired by today's Covenant Living broadcast. To find out more information about our ministry, just visit our website at www.covenantlifewestga.org. You can find this video there on our homepage. Just click the YouTube button and make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Give us a call at 770-537-3747. That's 770-537-3747. At Covenant Life, our mission is to go and make disciples by being real, relational, and reaching. Be sure to join us next week for more Covenant Living with Pastor John Butler.